Support for Out There comes from Kula Cloth. Kula Cloth is a high-tech pee cloth for women and anyone who squats when they pee. In case you're not familiar with pee cloths, they are reusable cloths that you can use instead of toilet paper when you're outdoors, at least for number one. I've been using a pee cloth for years, and it is truly a game changer. It makes personal hygiene easy in the backcountry, and it means you don't have to schlep around toilet paper all the time. The Kula cloth is made with antimicrobial material, and it has a waterproof backing so you don't get your fingers wet. Plus, it's got a handy loop so you can hang it on your pack to dry in between uses. For 15% off your order at kulacloth.com, enter the promo code OUTTHERE2 at checkout. That's K-U-L-A cloth.com, promo code OUTTHERE2. Hi, I'm Willow Belden, and you're listening to Out There, the podcast that explores big questions through intimate stories outdoors. As more people are getting vaccinated and the world is slowly opening up again, many of us are reflecting on the isolation we've experienced this past year. I know I am. The pandemic cut me off from normal human interaction, and especially in the early days, that brought a level of isolation that I had never experienced. It's a relief to know that I'll be able to start getting back to normal this year, or at least whatever the new normal looks like. But not everyone can escape their aloneness. On this episode, we're going to hear the story of one woman who has been dealing with deep isolation for decades. Isolation is not what defines her by any means, but it is an ongoing reality for her. And it's something she will continue to experience even after much of the world returns to a new normal. Stephanie Moltrich has the story. I met Luann Burke nearly six years ago on a backpacking trip for visually impaired women. The trip was dreamy. We spent five days in the desert near the Colorado-Utah border. I was one of Luann's hiking guides during the trip. Our days were spent traveling along the sandy trails while finding creeks to jump into and waterfalls to stand beneath. She and I laughed a lot. We bonded over our love of coffee, chocolate, and yoga. Luann is blind, but at the time, she could still see a little. Shadows, shapes, things like that. I remember how she held desert flower petals between her fingertips. She told me that sometimes she could make out a shadow or a hint of color. One night, the moon, a harvest moon, rose above one of the bluffs that encircled the canyon. Luann remembers it well. Well, I had more light sensitivity then, and I could um, have a little more grasp of my surroundings, or I don't know if it was more imagination or more, but I could, I could still see really high contrast, light and dark, and that moon was the last thing that went for me, and I can no longer see the moon, which 
I'm very sad about, but I still go out. Every time there's a full moon or anything like that, I go tell my friend, let's go, let's go, what's going to be out there, let's go watch it come over. I can't see it, but I, I want to be there. I want the moonlight to shine on me, and I can't see the light at all. But um, it still means a lot to me to go find it. Luann and I stayed in touch after the trip. Later that year, we made plans to complete an iconic hike over a 12,000-foot pass near my home in Colorado. It was a long day. We were on the trail for nearly 10 hours. But the time passed quickly as we laughed and talked about relationships, travel goals, and life. We slowly picked our way across the rocky alpine trail and over the pass. I walked ahead, and Luann followed. I helped her find her way by tapping rocks with my trekking pole so she could navigate around them. Other times, I'd simply explain the terrain ahead of us, whether there were trees she needed to walk around or a steep hill that we were about to climb. When we finished the hike, we reveled in the golden sun, celebrating a wonderful day in the mountains. In these moments, in developing my friendship with Luann, I saw her as someone living a full life. She seized experiences and got outside often. She adventured in the mountains and ran races. She surprised people. It wasn't until later on that I learned how profoundly isolated her life had been. Growing up, she was an outdoorsy kid. She spent a ton of time in the mountains with her dad and brothers. She remembers swinging from cottonwood trees and going on camping and backpacking trips with her dad. And then there was running. It was the 1970s, and she was in seventh grade. Her female gym teacher required the class full of girls to complete a 5K. Most of the girls didn't want to run, but Luann could feel the physical excitement in her body. I was just elated. I was so thrilled. I was just, I mean, my endorphins were pumping. And when they saw me coming, they're like, oh my God, look, it's Luann. They're like cheering me on. They just couldn't believe it. I was like the puniest girl in the whole school. There was one girl smaller than me and I just was bringing it in. And I was so excited and I was so happy. And I was so proud. I, I'd never been so proud in my life. And I had never done anything that made me feel that good about myself. After that day, she wanted to run every day, and she did. She found a friend who woke up with her at 6 a.m. to run before school. But when she was 19, everything changed all at once. She can recall the day 40 years ago, like it was yesterday. Luann had made an appointment to see a new eye doctor for a routine checkup. She hadn't had a checkup in years, despite wearing glasses since she was six years old. She stopped wearing them as a teenager because she disliked the way they looked. But now, she wanted to be able to see a little better. 
She figured the checkup would be routine. She'd get her eyes checked, get new glasses, and be on her way. But as soon as the doctor started examining her, she learned it wasn't going to be a normal appointment. He looked into my eyes, and then he said he had to leave the room for a little bit, and he left, and he called the, he and his, his nurse, I guess, came, and they both came in and turned the lights on, and he asked me, is there anything, have you seen anyone ever told you anything unusual about your eyes? I'm like, oh, yeah, I think I got some eye disease. And he's like, took a big sigh. And, um, uh, and then he asked me how I got there that day, and I told him I drove. And what happened is he went on with the eye exam, and then later he um, informed me and my family that I should not be driving and should no longer drive. Luann was shocked. She knew that an eye disease, retinitis pigmentosa, ran in her family. But no one ever talked to her about it. Her brother was diagnosed, but she wasn't sure if she had it or not. Looking back, she knows that she didn't always understand what other people were seeing. Like when she went skiing in junior high, she never understood how people could see the trails or ski through the trees. But it was never something she worried about. She could still see enough. On this pivotal day in her life, she was told she was legally blind. The doctor called her parents and told them that she couldn't safely drive anymore. He recommended she didn't drive home from her appointment. That would be the beginning of a life of isolation. You know, I was young. I wanted to go out dancing. I wanted to do stuff. I had to ask for rides. You know, we didn't take taxis in the 80s in Fort Collins. Or it changed how I socialized. I really missed out on a lot of things, but um, a lot. Yeah. And that continued. It continues. Despite this life-altering news... She was able to go on with life as usual in many ways for a while. She was in college and was able to walk everywhere she needed to go. Her vision was bad, but not bad enough that others would notice. But then she finished college and returned home to rural Colorado. If you've ever lived in a rural area, you know it's pretty much impossible to get around without a car. And Luann wasn't allowed to drive. All of a sudden, the isolation felt overwhelming. That's when it all really hit. I was on my knees, on my knees for sure. And then I had this really, really great friend who I still have. And I was like, I don't understand. How am I going to get make it in the world? What am I going to do? Why did this? Why is it like this for me? And it's the only time I really ever asked that question. And her answer was, well. Maybe it's because God thinks you're strong enough. These words stayed with her and helped her see through something that seemed impossible. But they didn't make the isolation go away. 
I still looked the same, I still moved around the same, everybody thought of me the same, but my world had changed dramatically because we have a very mobile society and I could not fit into it the same way. And that's actually too, that's when I really started running a lot more miles because I was like waiting around a couple times for rides or something and I was like, F this. I put on my little fanny pack and my running shoes. I'm like, I'm running everywhere I need to go. I am not waiting for one bus that travels around this town. Even though her reality had shifted completely, she committed to exploring the possibilities of a new life. She was hired as a caretaker for a man who was quadriplegic and used a wheelchair. During her time with him, she learned about how people with disabilities navigated the world. She learned about the possibilities, about different sports for adaptive athletes. She learned that there was a way to live with her disability, even if it looked different than she imagined. But her eyesight continued to get worse. Until this point, she could still see a tiny bit. Now, even that was fading. She recalls a day when she went skiing and felt so disoriented. Moving downhill, she felt like she went over the edge of a cliff and tumbled and tumbled to a stop. She had no idea where she was. When she finally made it down the mountain, she realized she couldn't ignore her disability. She couldn't get by on her own anymore. Hey, it's Willow. We'll hear the rest of the story in a moment. But first... Essentially, I started the business out of a need that I discovered myself. That's Alexandra DeRussio. She's the founder of Wild Woman Box, which is a subscription box for nature lovers and outdoor women. Alexandra says getting outdoors on a regular basis has made her life so much richer. And when I went looking for a subscription box, like as a monthly treat, all of the outdoor boxes felt too advanced for me. Alexandra wanted a box that would help make the outdoors accessible to all women, no matter their background or their skill level with outdoor activities. So she started Wild Woman Box. When you subscribe, you'll get a box in the mail each month filled with gear, food, body products, and inspiration to help you get out, get moving, and be you. For 15% off your first box, go to wildwomanbox.com and enter the promo code OUTTHERE at checkout. That's wildwomanbox.com, promo code OUTTHERE. And now, back to the story. One day this winter, I picked up Luann and her dog Chessie to meet a friend for a run. Luann wasn't in the greatest mood. She hadn't run in several days. She had spent a lot of days alone in her apartment. I noticed a change in her mood the moment we arrived at the trailhead. She met her friend and running guide, Cam, 
and they got right down to business, planning out their run. Do you want to run out to the cattle guard and... Yeah. <laughs> you probably felt too it's really slick from that wind and sun that we've gotten the last few days now that it's finally warmed up again. Um, so that, yeah, the road will feel like this probably most of the way, but at least it's like... Um, Was there any ruts? I don't see any because it got plowed like two or three weeks ago the last time it snowed and then since then it's just been like negative. For many people, being in the mountains is stunning because of the views. For Luann, it's a feeling. As we stood in the valley post-run, I looked around at the large meadows, tall peaks, and ridgelines surrounding us on every side. Then I asked Luann to describe the scene from her perspective. I can tell we're in wide open space, which just, I can feel like the air moving you know, a further distance. Oh, I just love wide open space. That day, for a brief moment, running brought her out of isolation. It created a connection. I'm a different person. I am a totally different person right now. I just, it changes everything. My endorphins are up. And it's not like I'm like jacked. I'm just happy to be alive. I'm, it's incredible. That's a feeling she often gets from running, and she chases it however she can. She runs races and plans trips to places like Machu Picchu. She even rode her bike across the country. But she does have to depend on others to do all of this. Luann can't just slip on her trail runners and hit the trail on her own whenever she wants. When Luann and her seeing-eye dog, Chessie, are familiar with a place, they can run alone, together. But that takes time. They have to frequent the place many times and train Chessie before they are comfortable. Mostly, she relies on a team of people, and that takes a lot of the spontaneity and independence out of running. She jokes that it takes eight people to keep a blind person fit. You have to be able to call in eight different, at least eight different people because, like, people are doing stuff. They're busy. So you got to have, like, a, a list of people. Hey, I'm, I want to go running this day. Well, maybe only one of them can, can you know? So you got to have, like, it's got to be, like, a, a flow. People get bored. they got things to do. And if you got a group that are just kind of flowing in and out, keeps you fit and keeps them still interested. Last year, in the midst of the pandemic and shelter in place, I started a weekly newsletter asking people about their experiences in lockdown, in isolation. Luann quickly responded, and when I read her email, an uncomfortable feeling arose in my stomach. Profound isolation was new to me, but for Luann, it was familiar. I felt ignorant to her experience. She said that she had been isolated from society for most of her adult life. She wrote, quote, I find myself receiving texts and emails from people more often. They have more time. They are trying to avoid isolation, and they are reaching out more. 
I have been here all along, as have most people with disabilities. Luann doesn't feel sorry for herself, but she also will tell you that her life has been different than she imagined it would be. She considers herself independent, but she wonders how she could have been even more independent and adventurous. She has to rely on people in a way she would rather not. She spends a lot of time alone, and that often feels hard. But having this time alone to process things in a different way has forced her to slow down. In her email, she reflected on this. She wrote, quote, But I, as always, noticed the ducks returning to the creek a week ago Tuesday, marking their territory by flying over the creek, quacking in the early morning. A ways down is another pair. They come every year and I look forward to it. I love them. They work so hard, so incredibly hard to survive and hatch and raise their young. I cannot see them. I choose to listen for and admire the returning spring, despite our human chaos. That was Stephanie Maltrich. She's an audio producer living in Gunnison, Colorado, and she was one of Out There's interns last year. Coming up on the next episode of Out There, we'll talk with filmmaker Devin Feifan Tao about his new film, Who's on Top? The documentary is about a group of LGBTQ climbers who set out to summit Mount Hood. In our interview, we'll talk about the parallels between climbing a mountain and coming out. And we'll look at the value of sharing your fears with the people around you. I learned that being vulnerable is actually a strength. And, um, you know, in the Asian culture, that's definitely, that was very new to me, still is. You know, 6,000 years of fables and history, like there's no stories about vulnerability and empathy or compassion. It's always about duty and sacrifice. (laughs) That interview is coming up on May 20th. A big thank you to Carl Greiner, Joan Amaro, Richard Giles, Phil Tim, Doug Frick, Mike Lutters, Tara Jocelyn, and Deb and Vince Garcia for their financial contributions to Out There. If this show brightens your day at all, consider joining your fellow listeners and making a financial contribution to Out There. The best way to support the show is to become a patron. Patrons are listeners who make monthly contributions to the podcast, and those contributions can be as big or as small as you want. We have listeners who donate $50 a month and listeners who donate $2 a month, and everything in between. You can become a patron today by going to patreon.com slash outtherepodcast. If you're not up for making contributions every month, you can always make a gift on Venmo. We're at outthere-podcast, 
Or you can go to our website, outtherepodcast.com, to make a gift by credit card. I have links to all those options in the show notes as well. If you're new to Out There, check out the Best of Out There playlist. This is a collection of some of our favorite episodes of all time, and it's a great introduction to the range of stories we do on the show. You can find Best of Out There on Spotify and at our website, outtherepodcast.com. That's it for this episode. Our strategic advisor is Alex Eggerking. Our audience growth director is Sheba Joseph. Jessica Taylor is our advertising manager. Kara Schaefer is our print content coordinator. Our interns are Forrest Wood and Cecily Moran. Our ambassadors are Tiffany Duong, Ashley White, and Stacia Bennett. And our theme music was written by Jared Arnold. We'll see you in two weeks. Bye.